Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. My name is Podcast Mike and I am introducing this week's guest, Dara O'Brien. Dara is an Irish comedian and television presenter, perhaps best known for his work as the host of the satirical uh, panel show Mock the Week. He is a friend and colleague of Will and has been for many, many years since 1999, which the two talk about in this chat as well as the two discussing how the pandemic has changed comedy all around the world. I should note that this episode was recorded a few months ago, so all of the information you hear in this episode in relation to the pandemic is outdated. For the interest of keeping the episode how it was when it was recorded, I've kept it as is, but please note that all of this uh, information and all of the pandemic discussion is not current. If you want to support us, head to patreon.com slash philosophy, get these episodes a day early and ad free as well. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help support us and pay our amazing artist, James Fosdyke, who puts together incredible artwork for each of the Willosophy guests, which you can find on instagram.com slash philosophypod. As well as that, you can head to tofop.com, check out some of the other uh, podcasts we do here at Tofop Productions. There is Tofop. Fofop and Two Guys One Cup and AFL podcast. So go and check them out. Uh, this is a fantastic chat. Please enjoy it. It's uh, Will Anderson and Dara O'Brien on Willosophy. Welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast, and this is how the show starts. You guys know this, you're regular listeners, I'm hoping, but our guest doesn't know this, and so this is how uh, the program starts. I say, uh, who are you? I am, um, this, I presume it's the point that I arrive in, uh, fully formed and performing. The, uh, sorry, <laughs> I really wasn't expecting that. Uh, I'm Daro Brin, occasional visitor to uh, Melbourne, far too occasional, um, and general gadabout touring comedian who has also appeared on shows, and I'm never sure which ones people see outside of the UK. Uh, Mock the Week is the thing that's been running for the longest period of time. Talking, talking nonsense. I think people in Australia are probably pretty familiar with who you are from a whole range of things. You know, television programs that have been shown here, particularly on the ABC. There right. would be a lot of your stuff that's shown on the ABC in Australia. But um, but also, you know, touring, you come out to Australia, you do big, you know, stand-up shows when you come down and do some live shows here. In fact, I sat in the audience, I think, of the last time you came to Australia and did uh, your stand-up oh, show. in Hamer Hall. Yeah, I was in Hamer Hall. In Hamer Hall. I'm not sure if that was, or the, or the one before the last time, I think it was, it was because uh, mm. I did one during the festival and then weirdly came in like October <laughs> they, uh, where the city where the city still exists and it's 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 actually all there and it's oh wow you, you keep this thing going for the rest of the year that's amazing well done um, so I came back and I did a show there which was outstanding it, it was a lovely God, it's just such a good room um, Hamer Hall the, uh, and uh, there's a guy the one you weren't at or the year you weren't I think was uh, was outstanding for the man who said who shouted do your stuff about snow at one stage oh. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know anyone who has stuff about snow uh, who has a specific let alone uh, like a, a headline like a signature bit that I would have my snow bit and so it became this thing that I'd just do the show ordinarily but like an hour later I'd just be doing a routine 
And then in the middle of a go, but of course he was snowing very heavily and the crowd would all laugh <laughs> just because he had set this up for this. So uh, yeah, it, it, Hamer's is, is wonderful. Um, and it has a grand piano in the dressing room. Mm. Which is important, which, yeah. Which it's it all—it's there as a kind of a—it does make you go, God, I wish I, I wish I could do any, play anything on this because it'd be so great in the dressing room of, a, of my concert hall to just knock out a few keys. That'd be lovely as a thing. So uh, yeah, yeah, it is. Hamer was also sorry, I'm not made of it. Was also where I got contacted at, on the tour that you saw me on was during the, the festival at the and I got contacted by somebody that night to say, "Oh my God, you're dead!" Apparently, and there was a news story about my death in a on a fake news website that a couple of people sent me the link to. This thing just popped up and disappeared, and I got a grab of it, and that became the finale of the next show. So every time I did it, I remembered. <laughs> Being backstage in Hamer Hall because I'd start telling the story and I would remember the moment that I had heard that I had, uh, that I was dead. So yeah, I mean, it, I have this weird relationship generally with Melbourne that it means Melbourne means a lot more to me than I think I I mean to Melbourne. <laughs> if you know what I mean? The, uh, we did, I did it early on. Don't you think that that would be everybody though? I mean, it's rare that somebody means more to the city than in reverse. Look, I know, I know, it's not. <laughs> I've said I've said quite a high bar there uh, because there are really only like what forty cities in the world that you you know care about. Yet I expect Melbourne to go. Oh, that guy, that guy is back. The, uh, but even within comedians, because you've had comics who come over all the time, and I came a few times, and then. Got just couldn't go for for many many years, and it was partly because of I had a TV producer who kind of screwed me over and and promised work repeatedly each spring for two or three years in a row. At the point where I was just building up, because I was doing the Athenaeum and I was doing it a few times, I was building up a thing there. And then he said, "No, no, stay in, stay in Ireland because the show will be." And he did it two years in a row, and then that that kind of broke the momentum. And then I then it turns out that we toured the UK and all marriage and all the things. It became difficult to justify a month in Australia, let alone throw in the Adelaide one as well uh, or go to Sydney for a while because it was very clear that this is just for the hell of it. I was just doing it for the fun of it. And I think, you know, in the early days of a marriage, I don't, I'm not sure that really is. <laughs> what? Look, darling, I'll be gone. This is really important for my career yeah. that I <laughs> spin this plate on the other side of the globe. Um, but I still have a thing that I, when, I come, when I come back, I go, oh, this is so beautiful. This is in, in my heart. Even though like, it's unrecognisable 17 years later. They, uh, but uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was just lovely to potter around. Okay. You've laid there's so much I need to unpack just out of this first answer so we (laughs) firstly I just wish you did have a I do wish you had a great bit about snow I feel like I can imagine that you would have. I, I can imagine some anecdote about an Irishman going skiing. You have some big routine. Like, I mean, oh. there is a part of me that thinks like at your height, your body shape, your background being Irish, not natural kind of snow people that I could, oh, yeah, I could certainly right. imagine a great Dara routine about some time you've ended up with the snow. So even if this guy's having some sort of a Mandela effect about like this routine you see, it does make sense. Like I got to be honest, trust him more than I trust you to remember the routine. I feel like he knows that you did do this bit and you can't remember it. And what what we find out actually o- over the course of it that that, that was actually me, who I, and I'd gone back in time in a cloak and gone do your snow thing to incept the routine that you are now saying. There was I did I only went skiing after this. I mean the time loops of this get very very confusing. I went skiing after this heckle occurred, 
Uh, and the outstanding thing was we were in Norway skiing and for some reason it was relatively quiet beautifully quiet uh, for skiing like there was no, hardly anyone there and I'm static going down like I am a, a tree trunk on these things but in your head you feel dynamic uh, and then the nice Swedish lady who was teaching us, who was, who was, it was a Swedish lady in Norway, uh, said, do you want me to film you? And I said, please, film film this this action shot of me going down the mountain. And I, I, I am stock still. And then I tilt like, I, like a, a, a degree one way and that moves me slowly around. And it's only because at the time I thought this is incredible. But I wasn't moving, I wasn't bending in any way. And she showed me the video and go, you're not moving a lot. <laughs> it was just like, it was like they'd send a dummy down on, on a, on, a, on a rail at this thing and I just and I just and then the, the, it was like the inclines of the mountain had carried me down rather than that I had done anything active to do it so I'm slightly better but there were four Japanese guys who were learning to snowboard and what little I know about this is learning to snowboard is really unforgiving so it's, it's a difficult skill to learn right and these four guys had gone to the top of the, the baby slope and set off and we got dra- pulled past them where each of them had just fought and it was like a war movie there was just these corpses on the ground at different points and they were like waving for help and none of them could get out of there they were tied to the board and it was just it was carnage the four of them had just gone down the mountain together and and they were just lying there no trying in Japanese yeah okay I've got to workshop more stuff i got to workshop more of my snow stuff I've got to say and we all know the case of the last Japanese snowboarder who did not know that the ski season was over was eventually found on the slopes still up the mountain still up the mountain refuses to come down uh, they're trying to lure him down they're doing announcements and everything but now he silently skis yeah, so I love that you brought yeah, in time travel to this because people will understand normally this is a question that I ask at the end of the uh, episode but I am obsessed by time travel and I've enjoyed in the way that you brought it up which was the idea that you from the future has used the power of time travel to come back to your own show to heckle yourself during <laughs> crowd work which is the ultimate question you would get asked which is like because you are brilliant at crowd work like being able to use the audience incorporate them into your show it's one of your incredible skills it is a thing it's my thing I do like and it, yes. I yeah. think what that means because it's, it's certainly something I do a bit myself as well and I know when you do it very well the immediate question is people can't believe it's true they they believe that yeah, you must have a plant absolutely. in the audience that you've set it up in some way like not knowing that that would actually be much harder to coordinate the acting and every the timing and everything involved in that is actually oh, much God, harder yeah. than just winging it but i like your version which is the power of time travel has been harnessed and you're using it to come back to your own shows to be a plant in your own shows <laughs> because there'll be stories like the snow one that i've told repeatedly um there's uh it, we, we did sydney uh, on that same trip as well and I had made a joke about um, is every does every TV show constantly come to an end in Australia because every, like every ad break was season finale and it was just it may be the time of year but it seemed to constantly there was a bachelor ending and there was something else ending it was all, and so the words season finale were running through my head repeatedly while I was doing it so that's apologies for the accent but you know some <laughs> phrases become very Moorish right and then I did, because I hadn't been there for a while, I did a load of older stuff. And I had a routine about koala, um, koala bears, right? Uh, and something about, you know, how, how would you use them, blah, blah, blah. And that was in the first half, right? And then got all the way to the end of the show. Great old show, got to the end. And was finishing up, I think, post at the end of the encore uh, kind of thing. And a man in the audience goes, they're not bears. Mm. 
And I went, sorry? And yeah. he was really angry that I'd said, but he had, but he'd wait, and he realized this was the last mm. chance he's going to say it. I was literally, I was bowing, and he went, they're not bears. And I had to go, what? And I said, you've waited all this time? And he said, I, just, I, I had to say it. Um, well, I'm saying you, koala. You know what the worst thing koala. was? I was waiting for you to finish this anecdote just so I could go, they're not so bears. Exactly. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it is so ingrained in us as Australians to point out that they are not bears. I was like, when he's done with whatever this is, I'm going to have to tell him they are not bears. <laughs> there was, as I was saying, and I thought, will I correct it? No, I'm going to say it. And then, and then I knew you were going to be able to do that. The, uh, and then the thing was, it, it, it was funny and brilliant. It was a lovely moment. At the, and, and then I said, geez, I don't know how to end this now. And somebody else went, season finale <laughs> uh, from the uh, back of the stage. So it was like, thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much. But because I've, you know, dined out in these kind of stories, it does make sense to me. There's a point where I, by whatever, I kind of sit down with somebody who goes, none of those things happened. You now have to go back and you have to be the person shouting out all of these stories that you've told people about. You have to do your own. And because like, I have notes of things that people have said, and I've got to, got to go back like a time banded thing. To, 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 to ease the fissures in time, I have to be my own heckler for all of the moments on which I made my reputations dealing with, you know, audience bit. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if it flies as a, as a, as a high concept movie, but. Time travel. Um, mm. Yeah. I'm very interested. Are you, is it something that you are interested in? Is it something that you are theoretically interested in? Is it something that you have ever tried to get your head around? The, like, the, I mean, one um, of the predominant arguments in time travel movies it, it, it often happens to be this idea of like, well, that wouldn't actually work. And I'm like, well, yeah, because we haven't invented time travel yet. So they're having a crack at it in a movie. I don't expect it all to check out entirely. If it checks out for the sake yeah, yeah. of the movie, I am fine with that. But I know that you're more interested in the way that things work. What, what are your thoughts around time travel? Does the idea of it excite you? Do you think it is possible? Do you look at a multi-worlds view of the universe? Like, what, what's your take on things? Look, the I am a possible. Actually, I was going to say there's an exception to this, um, but one of your few guests uh, who I've actually asked Stephen Hawking about his theorem on time travel, mm-hmm. where he basically showed that you can only go one way; you can't go back because it creates all sorts of paradoxes and mathematically doesn't work out. So you can only go one way, and I actually got to chastise him and say, "You have killed Terminator," right. um, and he <laughs> smiled along. That was a nice thing, right? The, uh, um, I was saying, I'm doing, but Adam Spencer and uh, and there are other people you've spoken to who are, yeah, the, yeah. Uh, uh, who are mathematical, yeah, the, uh, but. Um, I used to love the idea of going back to places I knew 50 years before I got I was there. Like I, I, as a kid, I loved the idea of I thought of going back to the town I grew up in and seeing that like when it was only just a, a small collection of streets. Um, I, I quite like the, the idea of that uh, as a thing. Now, I've gone completely done. I'm petrified of it. I'm absolutely incredibly scared that I would do anything that would make my kids evaporate. And that is a genuine fear I carry around with me that I will accidentally go back in time, nudge some situation and, or I would make a wish. Um, or somebody would say, oh, if you could change anything about you, and I'll go, well, I wish I had hair. And then it, because I had hair, I, I was fabulously good looking and I, I dated different women. And then the one night that I was in that bar that I met my wife didn't happen. And then all of my kids, pff, gone. Uh, and so that responsibilities, I find crushing. The uh, the idea that I could uh, destroy these paths. I've I've dwelled on that going, would I know? Or would I, would hopefully my memories of them would go as well. I wouldn't just, it wouldn't just kill me. This is an alternate universe uh, in which 
which they are. But uh, yeah, that's that. That's, thank you for asking. It's a genuine fear that I have uh, that I will make my kids evaporate. Okay, so I'm interested in this because it also leads to us as a human race and our rush towards technological advancement, whether it is yeah. on purpose or whether it is just the nature of technological advancement that it advances at a rate beyond our comprehension as human beings. You know, suddenly we have these machines and these robots and these AI learning, you know, algorithms that are, you know, seem to be launching us furiously forward to a humanity that maybe is a bit unrecognizable to us wandering around in our, you know, um, meat lump bodies today what's your take on technology and how quickly it's advancing like is it i mean i'm not looking for a black or white positive or negative but when you look at yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. how quickly you are how old are you if you don't mind me asking uh, 49. 49 okay so i'm 47 years old so we're of a similar generation right uh, which means that um the internet we have a really interesting i think take on how the world was before the internet because you spent essentially like you know your teens your early 20s without the internet being what we understand the internet to be today and then you've kind of spent the second half of your life living and adapting to this world that you know the internet is our industrial revolution without a doubt it has changed everything you're good bad or indifferent forevermore so when you look at that and you look at the world that your children are going to be growing up in in particularly in regard to that. What is your take on that? How do you feel about that? Um, I, I worry because um, you, there will be another thing and there will be other things that, that occur. And they, because there is no way we, this is the end point, we have reached that, you know, and our predictions for you tend to be, we'll do exactly the same as this, but maybe in space. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> yes, the, not that I will have all the information at my disposal instantaneously and I'll be able to do this. I'll be able to do this conversation, for example, just on a whim, I'll, uh, you know, we'll do it. The, uh, um, so something else will happen. And I, fi- I worry about that bit where that suddenly moves away. The there was a moment where um, my eldest child, when she was two years old, went up to the plasma screen telly. You know, the big telly that you that we that we regard as being some sort of high point. Uh, that when you reach <laughs> like you know thirty seven inch telly or forty inch yeah. flat screen telly, and she tapped it and it didn't respond because it's not touch screen, and she shrugged and walked away. And you go, oh great, our high point <laughs> is already disappointing them. Uh, so what, what, what that that was you can't imagine how much as a man getting a, pla, a, a plasma tell you was a bit no tap 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 this is unresponsive yeah. walked away <laughs> this is so yeah so how so what the next one is I don't know and and, and, and most of the predictions made for are, are generally not that are fairly underwhelming oh but your fridge can communicate with your you know uh, with the shop and tell you when it's run out of orange juice that kind of internet of things type, type stuff is, is I find enormously uninteresting because uh, it'll they, because there is a fundamental kind of like we still we need to, still to eat and, and 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 drink and fall in love and all those things you have to be moved around it. It's um, yeah, I, I mean some of it's incredibly exciting, but the uh, but I suppose the only the, our our only endpoint is a resource endpoint. Uh, at which point we can't we just don't, won't have the heft left in us to lift off the planet because we'll have used all the energy. That is a that is going to be slightly worrying how we deal with that. But yeah, it, that's a big one. I, that really is. Um, I had I had nothing but the but the image of my child uh, has bounced out of my head. Um, fear or take on that one. Hang on, it'll come back around again. Okay, uh, so um, I wanted to ask another question anyway while we yeah. were back on uh, the idea of crowd work, like you know the idea of you know 
making something up in the moment. And so you like your your stand up is not all crowd work. You do both. Like you know you have like written you know pre written routines. Yeah. You know developed routines. Things that you I imagine would do at least if not word for word, but in a similar way from night to night. You know the story structured yeah. in a certain way. The routine structured in a certain way. There are key words and key phrases that need to be said at different times for the routine to work. But then there is a huge part of your shows often that is just in the room, made up in the room. Tell me about both of those states and whether they are different comedic states or whether they are part of the same comedic state. Um, There is a unifying theme, I suppose, in the sense that um, you try to incorporate whatever you're doing into some character whole, as it were. Uh, Sorry, these terms aren't very good, but uh, (laughs) because you always kind of presume that what you're basically doing is you're having a sitcom that you are the character in. So you're looking for the situation and you're reacting to it honestly. The the way that manifests, because I'm always really much more proud of the written stuff and the stuff that you end up honing and going and and knowing, holding back that piece of information and revealing that and those kind of like, that little dance of taking an idea and expanding it for 10 minutes or whatever they're the ones I really love but the headline grabber is always the fact that somebody said a thing and then you turn it into something but it's um, it's it, having a minimum number of laughs to get off it um, so I'm, I'll not leave this until I've got four laughs or six laughs so I'm not just going to go training yourself not to go well nah, I banged blah, 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 whatever, or whatever <laughs> I, or I didn't, don't go to your place or whatever yeah. that stuff getting past that into Hillsy, Adam Hills had a thing where we, we, we were comparing us as that he had a phrase he'd go fantastic whenever somebody say anything and I have a similar I don't want the phrase at the moment but I have a similar kind of oh kind of a thing and that's buying time to go right how can I put that into a larger and sometimes it's as much as just acting it out um, but you you want to make it bigger and you want to take it into a bigger the, big, the bigger thing so it covers the entire crowd so it, so, so it envelopes the whole thing so it becomes it becomes huge by you doing it so that's the thing you're, basically you're, you're they give you a small thing and then you pump it up as much as you can until it becomes a big thing right and often the really golden bit doesn't occur for, th- for three or four lines you te- have to tease out a thing and there is at times the voice going oh Christ this is not going to anything but you are you're building a situation and at some point, hopefully, a contrast will appear or a clash or some sort of weird thing. When you're the, the joy, when you're totally on top of it, when you've when you've drawn the situation and that you know you can just hint at it, um, is one of the nice things. There was a guy in there's a place in Dublin called Vicar Street, it's a theatre, and it's a most beautiful, perfect room for stand up. It's very intimate, while still there's twelve hundred in it or whatever, but they're quite close and they're on round tables with drinks in front of them, so they're both near but also they're slightly informal so it's kind of not like a theatre where everyone's sitting bunched up and there's millions of these kind of things from Vicar Street but I think it was the very last show of the last tour there was a there was a, dr- a bus driver who had actually been on sick leave for the best part of a year at that stage um, but I went for incredulity and his family came with me uh, with, what the, f- what the fuck are you doing? What? How long have you been off? And the guy was like, you know, uh, nine months. And I go, I said, but you're here. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the family are all laughing along with this, right? And said, what, what route is it? Like, what the fuck are they doing now without a bus? Uh, and I moved on to, and there was a pregnant woman. I said, oh, wow, how, how are you? Great. And how long, how long have you been off work? And I said, she said about six months. And I went back to him and see, see that? Fucking six months. She's, she's made a child uh, and you're six months. But the joy was like, that's, the, in the first half I scribbled shit down so you can again solidify it and then maybe oh yeah what can we do how else can we do this 
and you get the biggest laugh from the simplest holding back of once you've established it, you can then just slowly reveal things. So I, at the end of the show, um, said, look, this has been the last show of this tour and I want to give a special thank you to the venue staff here and to the production here. But I want to say really from the heart to the people of, and I started listing these towns and... <laughs> They're going to, you know, Dartry, Crumlin, Blanchardstown, um, Honey Rise, and his family have started laughing because yeah. I'm just listing the towns on the route. Yeah. And I said, these people are still waiting, have been waiting for <laughs> nine months now. And it's just, just that slow reveal is, yeah. is enough for people to go, yeah, you've, all they've done is hold back a thing that we already knew. And then you've slowly revealed it, like the uh, and that honestly, if you at the end of the show draw out a piece of paper and you go, but during the break I was finding out more facts about <laughs> the thing you just talked about, like the uh, it's it the payoff is ludicrous uh, for this, like the uh, there is it's it's just really exciting because they know the risk and they the, and so the energy is very very raw and all in your favour. They, you know this obviously but they, it's all in your favour because people are going um, where, what's it going to do with this they, and they know it's new and they know it's a, a period of the moment I mean, if at any for long, the, the, you had to be there was a phrase I used to use about, about comedy which was the uh, which is a phrase that people use in terms of stories that they feel haven't worked they'll tell a story and somebody goes oh, I don't really get that and they go well you had to be there and I wanted to grab that phrase as no there was, that, there was a thing that happened and it only happened in that moment and that is one of the joy, that's why Lifestyle is, is brilliant because you had to be there, I'm sorry. And it was valid and perfect and you weren't there. So there's nothing I can do to make that happen. So uh, yeah, it's, that's the sort of, it, it's, that's a specific trick. It, it make it bigger. That's the, that's the key, I think. I think to it. Uh, I um, enjoyed your story about the Australian heckler who said they're not bears because it reminded me of a story of seeing the Enmore Theatre in Sydney. I, 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 you might know the Enmore Theatre. If you don't, play it at some stage if you get the opportunity to play the Enmore Theatre. The Rolling Stones played a sideshow there. I mean, it's a beautiful Sydney theatre, a couple of thousand people, old rock and roll venue, you know, mostly bands and stuff, but does a lot of stand-up. And uh, I went to see a a, a rap artist by the name of Lupe Fiasco, and it happened to be the night that – uh, Obama was being uh, inaugurated, right? So, like, basically, like, Lupe's on stage. He's like, you know, I just want to stop down the show for a minute. I want to pay attention to something that's happening, you know, in my own country. This is an incredibly historic moment, you know, thousands of miles away from here. Like, the first black American president's being inaugurated. And in this, like, really poignant moment, some Australian dude just goes, we say kilometres here, mate. <laughs> so... <laughs> Uh, might have been the same guy. Excellent. Might have been the bear guy. Yeah. <laughs> might have been literally that dude just going. <laughs> people, people have their own thing they care about. Yeah, uh, uh, I remember a guy raising his hand at a gig in Stoke. Stoke is not a Stoke can be a kind of a tough mm. town. Um, and I, I had a routine about the film called Twenty Twelve, um, and not a film that everyone's seen. And it, the game is how can I mm. give you enough information for you to get the routine? That's kind of the awkward thing. There were give enough. It's a disaster movie, so it wasn't it's quite genre, but it's still a thing of like. You know, and the guy in Stoke, as I'm doing the routine, I'm going, I'm going to be excited about something, raises his arm and goes, and I said, what is it? He goes, I've not seen that. Yeah. And you go, okay, well, <laughs> sit it out, you know, we'll come back to you. I mean, I appreciate the feedback, you know, you've, you've, you've not seen it, so okay, cool. This is not about anything I, I recognise. Which I should d- have more in stand-up, really, when you think about well, it. Well, I know, think but. that this is, I mean, again, 
creation and recreation are two, I think, really distinct states of stand-up. You know, often there is that real joy when you're starting to work something out because you're in a mode of creation, right? Like, you know, and you're connected with the audience. You're literally in the moment. And then it becomes, to a certain extent, a job of recreation, which is taking all those times you did that routine, finding out what you generally think is most likely to land. You know, it's a little bit of a showing it in front of test audiences style of putting it together, really. And then... When you're in that mode in the room doing something, that is pure creation. You are in the moment. People are seeing it being created. But also, the thing that I would argue is it, it, they've seen all the ingredients. They don't need to have seen 2012. When you're in the room, when you're making something up, they just heard that person yell that thing out. They just heard that person give you that answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody yeah, in the room has suddenly seen 2012. But with, like you yeah, said, yeah. with most stand-up, there's nothing that you can talk about. You know, if some guy's up there talking about like, you know, issues he has with his kids and I don't have kids, it doesn't mean if he's a good comedian, it's not like I'm going, well, I don't have kids, so I don't know what you're talking about. I do not understand yeah. anything about this. This is not but, for me, mate. What? Yeah. <laughs> do some the, good stuff about uh, 2012. I've seen that several times. I've saw that. I know I nothing about children. I heard I, uh, if in case you find myself um, saying to younger people in the audience, oh God, there's some young people in the audience. And I, and I say, look, there's stuff in the show. And it's not stuff that's rude. That's, the perception is that, oh, well, can a young person go to the, the show? And can a 14-year-old go into your gig? And you go, well, it's not that they're going to be, oh my God, my ears are burning because he said fuck or whatever. The, uh, it's just, they will be, I'll talk about things that just are part of older life that they haven't lived through yet. Mm. And there's a danger they're going to sit there going, Okay, I, I don't know that. I don't. I can't come with you uh, on that particular journey. Like with the uh, mm. um, and I, like I, I had a gag in the in the in the last show that uh, about we just we done some building work and I had this joke and I've always known that this is a joke that really there's a tiny there's a thing called snagging and I'm not sure what happens in building works in Australia and I don't remember therefore to have to drop it in Australia but the snag list basically is at the end of a building job you go around and you go well that painting isn't finished there and that plumbing thing isn't right and there's a list and it's called snagging where the builder comes back and they basically go right okay now we've, well we've finished the snagging on this floor and we've finished this and we've just tie, finished it up tidied it up right and it's called snagging and I had some line about when the builders leave if you had a big building project and eventually they leave and it's really disorientating when the builders go because they, you, they've been in your house for like a year two years and then they're just not there and it's like you're and it was like and you don't know oh, who are they building for now and and uh, you know and you're making cups of tea and turning and they're not there and and I, I you know and I hope it's all really empty nest thing right uh, and I turned to my wife and go will the builders be back tomorrow and she said they won't be back tomorrow and they won't be back tomorrow and I said but then they're not coming back the builders are gone and I go but what about the snagging they said they'd come back and do the snagging my wife would go oh honey there's no such thing as snagging. It's just a story that builders tell their customers so they won't feel sad when they leave. Right. And so it's a, it's a, I, I adore because it's the silliest thing, but it's a silly thing if you're yeah. in your 40s, you get it. And like, but you're very aware as you're doing it that uh, like a 25 year old attending my show will go, oh, this is the most middle class <laughs> joke you can imagine. This is, oh, wow, relevance gone, yeah. burnt off by this. And it's just such a sweet little juxtaposition. I'm very fond of it. But, it, but I end up having to, having to put so many explainers in and so many things that justify doing it. You yeah, know? Firstly, young people, like, I understand you'll never be able to afford your own home. But if you were to... was one of the lines. I yeah. genuinely was one of the lines. I had to say, I'm doing this joke in London. These fuckers will never own a house in their lives. They had to 
why am I telling you about this shit like there but uh, so that really so we're just there's things you talk about which are true to you and it's weird because I've done gigs where audiences have come along thinking oh comedy that's the person coming on stage going it's a, we've not had it in Malta specifically and they lured us in out of a bar with flyers to fill the room out like whatever and then I'm going out doing a show about me and my life and people some most people are going with it and we'll go, go all the end. but there's a group of German kids who just walked out uh, and one of them I walked to the stage and said I'm very sorry but they, they all want to go I was, I was enjoying it and I said that's fine but the rest of them were like no we're expecting a guy to come out and go boom 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 here's here's a generic stuff here's yeah. a joke and here's, here's some joke. comedy they don't want to just yeah, hear about you yeah it's just comedy you know what it is yeah. man walks into a bar bang ha ha because we whatever the uh, not the slightly autobiographical fucking witterings of a then fucking 47 year old Irish man going yeah don't you know when you're getting older um, so that's an awkward one the, in, in terms of them coming to you and you going to them uh, is an awkward one as well as the information do you have a comedy philosophy? Because, I mean, this show, this the, the loose premise of this show is about philosophies, whether people have mottos yeah. or ideas or rules or things around how they approach various aspects of life. When it comes to comedy, do you have a specific thing that you are trying to achieve? Do you have, like, something that when you set out, like, particularly do stand-up comedy, I guess we're talking about here, like, and is it different to when you first started where, of course, you're on the way up, you can almost talk about everything, but you've been incredibly successful. Sometimes we've seen it in, you know, in colleagues of ours, but we've seen people wrestle with it. Some of them wrestle with it very effectively and find a new way to do it. But often success removes you from the audiences that you are talking about in a relatable sense. I mean, House is... I mean, I had this one line in an improv show I did in Melbourne just a couple of months ago, which was... And again, it's not a line that I would ever actually do in a real show because it feels a a bit harsh, but it just came out in the improv show, which was like, no, I was talking to a young person. I said, no, I understand how you can't afford your house. I can't afford my house. I mean, my second house, I can't afford it at the moment. I've had a year off doing gigs, you know. Like, but but it's not, a, it's a funny line, but it's not a relatable yeah. joke. And it would have, it would separate yourself with from your audience, I think, you know, if you were trotting that out night for night as part of your material. So do you have a comedy approach, a comedy philosophy? Uh, yeah, I mean, and, but it's not to fake the everyman thing, mm. um, which I don't think you can do. I mean, there was a, there was a line at the start of... Um, uh, the previous show which said uh, I think it was like I don't have to be here I, I'm, I'm, I'm on BBC money which is a regular <laughs> news story about BBC money and then they, and they get a beat and I go and not even that I'm on BBC man money which is like 40% more uh, and so it was sufficiently good to get over the fact yeah. but then when we recorded it and, and watched it back on tape it looked, it looked, didn't look pleasant. It did, yeah. it looked, you know, in the room, I can get away with it, I can smile it through and they know where I'm coming from it. But co- on the cold remove of like a DVD thing, it actually looked sort of arrogant or mm. rude or whatever, dismissive mm-hmm. of the whole thing, of, of, of a number of things. Uh, and so we just subtly, we did the opening uh, for, for that. But the, uh, but yeah, it's, it, in terms of, of um, I don't have a sense of, I don't have like a, like, hey, always punch up, always punch, kind of a thing. I don't have that. Uh, and I also don't have a, I've got to subvert this or do this or any kind of vang or any kind of thing. I have a, it must be consistent. And then it's just, look, what's my brain going to give me? Um, and what am I going to be gifted with and how can I then turn that into a show so it's much more about the craft and the technique than is necessarily like I mean as it turns out I don't my brain doesn't deliver 
really savage, mean, like Frankie Boyle type, you know, controversial jokes. Or maybe it did and the, earlier on, I think it's, when you're younger, it's earlier, it's easier to have, to feel no investment in the, in the normal game of stuff, things. Um, I, and be outside in that way. But generally, I'm just trying to be that character in various situations uh, and and draw through um, and and but then the the point really is what's the thing that's going to lead to the most extra stuff coming off it the uh, and and that defines it much more so it's like I always worry when people say about things like mock the week you know well you guys believe this or believe that and you go you don't we don't we're literally looking at any news story to see what gives the best running joke. Um, is what it is. There isn't a philosophy to it, like the. Uh, so I kind of eschewed any kind of, kind of. I, I'm trying to get this across. This is the idea. Obviously, it's informed in some ways, uh, and I'm very happy to let it be sciency. A lot of sciency stuff, uh, and to be kind of smart about sciency stuff, and not. That's probably the only thing which I've deliberately gone. I'm not. I'm not going to be Poindexter about stuff. I'm going to stand do shows stand next to Brian Cox, and I'm going to, you know, be going. I also know stuff, by the way. I don't know so much, but I'm not. I'm not going to be the guy going, huh? What's this, Professor? Um, we used to do because we would have people going, oh, you guys are dumbing it down, and we go, we're really not. If you want, do you want to see us doing a dumbing it down version? And we would like do takes. We would go, what? We, uh, a black hole? What? Uh, kind of thing. The, yeah, but it was uh, so. It was always kind of that that there'd be something sort of smart and but I you know you don't want the, the whatever the clap the applause what's that the phrase for the uh, just having your 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 own beliefs just reinforced for you by somebody just saying it that stuff you know makes your skin crawl a bit like whatever you so, talked about the fact that you're not like you know edgy like Frankie Boyle is what you said like you know yeah. as the example was there I think a lot of comedians because we met when we were both quite young I, I, I believe yeah. we met in 1999 at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and um, here's how I can date you your show was called Willennium that's <laughs> how I can <laughs> and and I have to say publicly your commitment to the pun uh, has been one of the most striking things about your your continued success that you have you know you're blessed obviously will just works for everything but it is it's it's impressive that still that animates show title choices and can i tell you the story behind that then because i think you will enjoy this uh so it was uh will durst do you remember the comedian? Yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. American political yep. satirist. American, Will Durst. Comedian, American political comedian, yeah. Yeah, very, very funny guy. And um, Will Durst had been out at the um, uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival when I was a young comedian. And I had been putting up flyers for the festival to get free tickets in return to go and see shows. So basically, what that meant was I would go and put up other people, other comedians' posters. And in return, like, you know, on as, you, as I now understand, at the time it seemed so exciting and you were part of an exclusive club. Now I understand that it was like it's Thursday night and they're papering their international, you know what I mean? Like, you know, we <laughs> yes, want to get some bums yeah. on seats as a reviewer in. But like it felt pretty prestigious at the time. So I ended up going and seeing a bunch of shows. But one of the ones I enjoyed the most was by uh, Will Durst. Just thought his show was absolutely fantastic. And he was doing a show called The Durst Amendment was the name of the show, uh, all about American politics. And I went up to him after the show and I said, you know, I've just started out doing stand-up comedy and uh, I, um, you know, I I really would love to, you know, like get some advice from you. I thought your show was fantastic. And he says to me, he says, look, always make your show title a pun. People will remember it. And if you can, put your name in it. And I thought, well, that's great advice. I'm going to go away and absolutely follow that advice. So 
I ran into Will Durst at the Edinburgh Fringe a few years later. I don't know if it was Willennium Year. Like, it might yeah. have been Willennium Year because I, like, I think maybe I'd done I Am The Will Durst and I'd done Willennium. So, like, they were, like, right. the two. So, I'd done it twice at that point. And so, <laughs> Will Durst there. By the way, I think doing a show called Myth America. So, I didn't have his name in the title, which probably should have been my first clue. But I go yeah, up yeah. to Will Durst and I say, look, you know, here I am at Edinburgh. Like, you gave me this advice. I'm doing my show, Millennium, you know, here at the festival. And he just looks at me and just says, mate, I'm so sorry, but I was just trying to get rid of you so I could go to the bathroom <laughs> drink. <laughs> so... <laughs> So 25 shows there's been since then. So Really? Yeah. Every time? That's, that's very impressive. Well, you start, also- you start doing it and then it's like, I mean, there's a point where... Uh, there was the point yeah. where people would want to know what the next one was called. And that Fine. was what I was thinking. I was like, if I'm doing a show every year, I need a way to... Really, for me, it was because of the manic- mechanics of how the Australian festivals work. So... Up until last year when the festival didn't happen, last year would have been my 25th year in a row at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. And what I like to do is go, hey, this show has a new title, therefore you know it's new material. That's a it. New show, yeah. Right? That's fair enough. That's that's absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there. but of course, in August, when they're asking me what the new show is going to be about in March, I've got no idea. So like this, it was a really easy thing to rely on. I just had this list of wheel puns. I would go, okay, this one's going to be called that. And then, you know, at some stage it would be, but then there was just a point where people would start to go, what's next year's show called? And I was like, well, I mean, if they're interested in knowing what it's called, that seems to be a good start, I think. So yeah. I think I'm just yeah. stuck with this now. Yeah, no, look, man, you committed to this. Like the, uh, uh- <laughs> I mean, now wondering what your obituary is going to be called. Uh, Last will and testament, yeah. terminally will. Something. Anyway, there's. Yeah, right. yeah, I mean, there's fatal willness. Yeah, there's um, not one willness. of there's not one of these things that has not been thought through. <laughs> That's the my, one of my favourite things is when I do a radio interview as so I press for the show, and they're like, "We've got a few new ones for you," and like the idea that somebody at this stage could come up with a new will pun for a show that I have not been told or have not thought of at this stage. This is, yeah. And so, but if you think on one a year, is there is it self limiting? Is there a point, or do you have forty? Would you have enough to kick to get you way past the point where you're still going to be doing shows, or do you have thirteen left uh, and you're slowly coming down the line? I would love. <laughs> To think it was the latter, but it is definitely the former. I've got like still 50 or something on a list. Oh, fine. Okay. And so there are definitely ones I'm never going to get to. There are some that have um, actually like become inappropriate that I see. I could have called a show, I think, 20 years ago, Mentally Will, right? Like that would have been a fine, but now, like Mentally Will is just one that's going to sit in that folder now forever (laughs) and go, all right. But. But meeting Willis and him saying, and him using Durst instead of Will feels a bit like, you know, er- Ernie Pie uh, with Ernie in the Sky. The, uh, it feels like he's he's taking the wrong part of that. I mean, you know, cause that's, I spotted an opportunity, I guess, in his name. <laughs> went, you know, what you should have done, dude. evolved it further. But, oh, that, was, that must burn him up. <laughs> He <laughs> was staring uh, me in the face the entire time. Uh, what yeah. did you start out wanting to do when you started doing comedy? I guess was why I was taking you back to 1999. Like, uh, what what was the impulse that took you to the stage in the first place? There was um, it's a, there was a when I I suppose the the, the past kind of bio is that I was in university and I went into study science and then saw university debating. 
which was, I think it's a big thing in universities in Australia as well. Hence, Adam Spencer, who mm-hmm. gets a second mention, who I saw <laughs> speaking in my university. And I keep meaning to get in contact with him and say, and square the circle, but we've never actually spoken beyond this one time when I was a student. Well, uh, Adam, Adam does he, listen to the episode and now that he, to these shows, then now that I know he knows he's been mentioned, he'll definitely be listening to this. So I'm, good, yeah, good, if good, nothing good. else happens the, uh, out of this, that will happen. Okay, good. Because he spoke as a as a vision. He was overdoing the worlds in in yeah. Dublin or something. The uh, so we know it happens. In, and it, like I know the word Monash because of debating. Because there's a university called Monash, obviously in Australia. I don't have no idea where that is even is, but they spoke. Uh, and so the um, they we they, and they were big events. And I remember sitting at the back of those and envying people, envying a fine emotion uh, because you went, oh my god, I'd love to do that. And then the following year, took it up, and then found myself doing funnies. Um, I think on the very first thing I, I told I told a joke of silly kind of hey well I see such and such is here and uh, some gag really local to the, the situation in the university in that exact, in that moment uh, and I got a huge laugh and it was like a spike of adrenaline that I had never re- realized was there um, and I was like oh that was nice and then I and I found it was a, I found that I was a funny speaker in that in that world uh, and then became in university the guy that would get to host things and and all that but to all of this it was it was unimaginable that you'd be a stand-up because there was no path for that uh, in Ireland at the time and I held on to the sense of it being an unimaginable thing even for the first few years of doing it because I was doing other jobs because yeah you do and even I felt kind of slightly embarrassed by saying to people, no, I'm no longer doing that job because I've, I'm concentrating on this. I, and I, it felt so weird as a, you know, very kind of um, standard kind of academic kind of a student who was going to go off and become a scientist, something really, really straight laced, whatever, to go, no, I'm running off to become a comedian. Like the, uh, the general bewilderment in, in my home life, my parents were like, uh, it was said to me later by a cousin, your father had some difficult times with this that I was going, yeah, I'm off doing gigs. I was like, what the fuck is this? So, but it was, it, it was years before I, I, I felt that I had, you know, that I deserved to be there. All that first, like I think it was 2002, seven years doing it, I think, before I, I think I did it in Montreal and went, fuck yeah, yeah, this is, wow, this is what I do now. And at all times, I still feel a kind of a slight imposter syndrome because of meeting really show busy people, really, you know, multi-hyphenate singing, dancing, entertainer type people. And you go, I, wow, am I that? But there is an instinct of that in me, um, a desire to just be out there and, and the pure performance. The, uh, it's sort of forgotten a bit because it's been a year and a bit since I've done it. The, uh, so, but the, so the, you seeing more of the singers and dancers and stuff like that, but it's a, it's a, yeah, it was, it was a thing I never realised was in me and the, the desire by which I mean that rather than the skill or talent or anything, the desire to do it. I think the desire is way more important than the skill or the talent. That's a measure, it's very difficult to work out how much skill or talent you have, but you can certainly work out how much desire you have to do it. And that's the only thing that does it. Um, it's it's funny, Zabay, I, I recently got um, asked to be a guest judge on one of those big uh, oh, ta- yeah, yeah. talent shows, you know, and uh, I, I really, when they first asked me, I was like, I don't have a talent. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm not yeah. an actor or a singer or a dancer or like, I'll be looking at the juggler or the acrobat and going, that is impressive, but I don't know what my right is to judge what you're doing because I literally, my only talent is the thing that everybody else in the world does every day for free. Talk. Yeah. Like, tell yeah. long rambly stories. I've just decided I reckon I could monetize that. That's the only skill that I have. Is it really? Is it? It's just nerve, as we say, in the sense of yeah. like, and in, in the Irish sense of it being a bad thing. It's just you know, you had the nerve to do it, rather than 
you know, because it is we think a fundamentally incredibly arrogant mm. thing to say. Oh, I will make you laugh. I will mm. this innate thing. Mm. I will do that. They, uh, and uh, oh, like Eric Morkham or Steve mm. Martin or what I'm that I I'm just yeah, <laughs> this magician who can make this alchemize uh, your emotions uh, in front of you. Yeah, that is and like and the responsibility you do it sometimes is just like oh fuck really I've got I should you know to, to remember that that's I sometimes because I have this other old sciencey thing that I can slip into and it's it's, it's not it's bad to say because I do find myself very easily going oh here's some facts yeah. and I go go you're in show business you're in fucking show business do some just no make up something they, uh, because it's very it's a very easy role to slip into going uh, well oh well the thing about the moon uh, and so I have to occasionally remind myself no you fucking idiot you're not here to do the moon stuff now you're here to actually do the scary show busy thing they, uh, well you, t- you touched before. on the idea of having no audiences for the last you know year or mm. so what 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 has that been like? Did you do any shows? Did you like go and do comedy at a drive-in or did you do yeah. any of I'm those do, And if I can do one of those again next week, they restart next week. So I'm doing one of those next week. Um, Mark Watson organizes them here, mm-hmm. like whatever I know, you've, uh, you'll know from the, but the, um, so there was a period as well during the summer where they did some socially distance. When the timing wasn't great, it was really towards the end of the summer uh, that they started. And so, they got very cold and so people were like yeah there's the last it was October and people were sitting outside watching things just because they wanted to be doing stuff <laughs> and it was the actual doing them and that is now whatever number of months ago that we've done that the, uh, was just giddy it was um, they were giddy I was giddy uh, it was this is just silly This to be doing this again is amazing and actually carried a lot of the energy was in thing in just how insane this is to be doing this um, the, rather than it necessarily being very tight because it was very difficult to write stuff because this is a weird time mm. and the stuff you write now won't apply in six months time so you don't want to do give the effort to writing the stuff now mm. about this time because fucking who wants to hear about this in six months time so the uh, so it's kind of a weird moment um, and a lot of it was just the oh my god this is look at this and gabbling and kind of a wild way I had, I had a moment on, on the first weekend of where I did gigs first time in ages and it was cars and it was people with those, they're called clackers here I don't know if they, if they have them where people bring them on and they shake them and there's three things and they thwack off each other and they make a noise right because it said people in the area of these gigs were really fucked up because they just heard car horns going for two hours and so were the comedians because you know there was car hunts it's fucking really difficult your, your timing goes with meh, meh, mm. uh, on everything so the clackers replace them and people would do little applause or clacker and you just recalibrate what you regard as being a good laugh or a thing doing well by by this right? but I was on stage and I got really giddy and I just got into this rant of the best thing about this gig is and I know that you want to do this for years but you haven't but you can actually wank while watching me perform now which you can't do in the Apollo in Hammersmith because it's like it's, oh, it's on plush seats and there's people around but here no work away knock yourself out enjoy yourself and I'm going to huge rant about this uh, and in my head going oh this is this is nice mm. this is what it is it's just taking a thing and running with it and them laughing we're all having a silly time together like whatever so even when that, in that contrived circumstance but uh, but I will say that, that, that we have a slightly fragile temperament I believe most comics and we don't go into this without to some extent needing the love of strangers and the, and the acclaim of an audience and that's gone completely and I don't know anyone at any level who hasn't taken it personally the fucking pandemic who hasn't gone oh well I'm just I'm over 
I'm done. I'm not getting any gigs anymore. And people go, there's a fucking pandemic on. Nobody's getting gigs. Nah, but I'm really not getting gigs. Uh, I'm it's done. It was great. It was great when it lasted. But I, I, I suppose it never really took off for me. And fine. No, we're just in a pandemic. There are no gigs anymore. The, uh, no, look, I had a good innings. Thank you, everybody. And ready, ready to call time on their own things. Because I, I don't know, you guys are putting me back doing stuff, aren't you? You're in rooms or are you in rooms? Yeah, yeah no, I mean, Melbourne, I mean, some parts of Australia were barely touched by COVID is the actual true, truthful answer. Right. Okay. Um, the biggest test was going to be Melbourne, like really, because Melbourne had the com- the comedy festival was the first thing that got cancelled really in Australia. You know, the Grand Prix yeah. and the comedy festival got cancelled on the same day, Friday the 13th of March uh, 2020 was the date that we all found out about that. We were most, most of us were in Adelaide doing the Fringe Festival, which was still going strong and happened both years. They didn't miss that at all. But Melbourne was the first thing that got cancelled. And that was a big deal, not just for like the comedy yeah, yeah. community, but that's a huge arts event in Australia. You know, it'd be the equivalent of like, you know, cancelling the Edinburgh Festival or cancelling the, you know, um, the Montreal Festival. They're, they're big events for that city. So it was immediately you're apparent that this thing was absolutely going to go away and how unnecessary it was. You know, that whole myth about laughter being the best medicine. Like, I mean, I know we've all joked about that for years, but never has there been a starker reminder that when it comes to medicine, we are not necessary at all. There was not no, one, no, not right. no, not one no. moment where they thought about putting, you know, Stephen Colbert, Dara and, uh, you know, Frankie Boyle <laughs> in a room and going, guys, if you can just come up with the right routine, I That'd feel like great. we can get yeah. us through this. The scientists are over there, but we've got you guys in a room as well. Let us let us know who else you need in here if you can get them in. So I think that this idea of what we do being – we've become so used to stand-up comedy in particular being a thing because people decided it was a thing. But immediately people were in a position where it was reckless to go to stand-up comedy, to go inside and like expel fluids, you know, from your mm-hmm. mouth around other people. It was irresponsible to do. So I think we, as performers, really genuinely had a moment where going, oh, we are not a necessary industry. In fact, yeah, during yeah, yeah, a time yeah. like this, yeah. we are completely unnecessary. It's frivolous and dangerous of somebody to go, no, I love stand-up comedy so much. I am going to yeah, go past all these incredible risk factors that are involved in it to go and do it in this unsafe circumstance. But Melbourne came back this year. It started at 65% audiences. So that was at the start of the festival, at 65% in theatres. People still had to wear masks in the audience. By the end I mean, of the, the, seat, the seating was laid out for 65%. You're saying, that's right, yeah. yeah. Or, so, yeah, like, yeah. So they yeah. spaced people out in the audience, so there's 65%. Yeah. But by the end of the festival, the last two weeks, they sold 100% capacity, no masks. Wow. So that's where shows are in Australia now. Like, at the moment, you know, everything... I, there's just been a little outbreak in Sydney. A couple of people have tested positive. So they're still doing Sydney Comedy Festival audience in masks at the moment. But everyone's in theatres, everyone's inside. We're selling a full capacity. So it does feel like things are, yes, getting back to normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll see over the next while. It, it's, it's not being mentioned. I mean, it's, we're supposed to be back in normal life. Two phases on. The next phase starts next week with uh, restaurants and bars opening indoors. They're already kind of uh, open outdoors at the moment. And then a month after that, we, they test and they test and see how it's going. And then we're supposedly by June into July heading back to normality. But no one is specifically addressed. And then we'll sell a thousand seats for you in a theatre in Portsmouth. You can all sit in beside each other. They, uh, so no one is. And there may be just a wariness about doing that. The, um, but where to have it taken away 
was you know and not in any way this was by no means the worst thing that happened over it but the uh, was just a weird kind of oh that's gone that's not you know our mm-hmm. thing yeah you're right isn't we're not it turns out that important and also I found I was very kind of a okay well it's gonna be a different time and you know I'm ready to be there if the nation needs me mm-hmm. here to um, you know help or if charities need somebody or I'm ready to amplify things ready to and uh, no no they said well, no it's okay, <laughs> we've got lots of other people <laughs> yeah it was that sort of brutal well that's very kind but actually yeah. everyone all really really famous people are also sitting around the house yeah, alone, so get in, we're going to use them the for our campaigns yeah. instead yeah so, right. uh, so it was a, <laughs> there was a real sense of oh I now know where I stand in, in the <laughs> In the, in the, yeah, in the affections of the nation. Okay, fine. Great. No problem. Thank you. Uh, right. Do you think that COVID will change your approach to... Because this is the interesting thing about a time like this. Does it change us? Or do we just immediately go back to what we were beforehand with you know a couple of minor adjustments? It feels like when you're in the middle of it, that it's going to be a massive change that we feel the ramifications of for generations. And I think in some aspects of society, that's got to be true. There is just going to be some aspects of society that cannot come back in the same way as they went into the pandemic. But for us, for you in particular, the person that I'm talking to, do you feel like it will have lasting ramifications on your life? It's difficult. Um, I think it's been a very different experience for for each country. Um, and that's been one of the weirdest things about it, like whatever, because um, we're both coming out of it, but you're coming out of it because you, you didn't, you haven't done any any vaccinations. Your, your vaccination number is, is incredibly small. The um, Whereas we're only coming out of it now because around 51% of the population is at a jab. Uh, and so that we're beginning to build up a kind of a herd immunity to it. Variants, we're, we're watching variants all the time and, and stuff. The uh, But uh, no, because, but probably the most telling in, in the UK was there were two lockdowns. There were three technically, but there were very much two set piece lockdowns. And the first one was we're all doing uh, PE with Joe Wicks in the morning. The whole nation's doing that. And then we're all watching the same stuff together. And then every Thursday we go out and we applaud on the street. And then it's, it, it's all TikTok videos of families dancing together, coordinated, all that kind of stuff. And it was like community, 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 community. And then we got into the summer and we can ease off, like whatever. Second one was January to, to April of this year. None of that shit. None of that shit at all. It was like, it turns out we have three months of communal goodwill. And then the second lockdown was, fuck the lot of years. No one posted anything happy. There were no Zoom quizzes. There were no charity kind of events with things, whatever. There was no, nothing. It was like, if you ask people now, people can't remember anything that happened in January and April. Um, I, I remember phoning a friend in April and we resumed the conversation we were having in January. It was like those last three months, we just all battened down the hatches. And there, I think it, I may end up doing a routine about this going, that was, we really ran out of any goodwill super fucking quick, you know. And you compare it to previous generations who had fought 100 years wars and stuff like that. We did three months uh, and uh, of, of, you know, like we're all in this together and we'll do volunteers. And then second time it happened, fuck that none of that stuff happened uh, and it was really, really there, was no, there was no appetite for it nobody wanted to applaud anyone on the doorsteps and no one wanted to have goodwill about any of the stuff it was just like bleh fuck this uh, we'll just sit in with the kids and fucking shout at them and, and stuff so uh, I think I don't, whether it'll change things or will just be an amazing event that we will refer back to um, there was a very good interesting article that said that there's very little art about the previous very little movies and books and stuff about the, about the Spanish flu mm-hmm. 
because it kind of caught people at the end of the war but there's tons of stuff about the war but the Spanish who like should be much more richer in, in the iconography of it and all that this one will I, I think um, and there'll be stuff about it like whatever so we'll, we'll, it'll have more of a footprint of it but the uh, yeah I'm not sure you know what I'm interested in is will people want silliness more let's say for example from us Will they want not it, it not to be mentioned at all? That's the big game we have at the moment. Is will people when we when we do shows again next October, for example, supposed to be doing a tour? Will the first thing I say be about this or not about this? Do you know? Will it be totally? Let's just right. Let's just move on to. Let's try to get back to the minutiae of human life. The the onion thing of you know um, nation yearns to care about nonsensical things again. The uh, after nine eleven that was their headline. The, uh, so it was a. It may be that this is a thing that we all will. Co- but put in a box of fuck me that was weird um, and not talk about it again and it'll be fucking pies and faces and you know you know Chattanooga Choo Choo and who knows and twenty <laughs> stuff like that yeah it was, that's what we'll do they, uh, somebody will make a lot of money by by hey that never happened people let's just move on and happy and it's all I'm going to come up with a dance craze and then it'll be all totally forgotten about they, so I don't know. I don't know. We started talking about uh, the fake news of you uh, being declared dead. Mm. Um, uh, so can you tell me a little bit about what it was like to find out that you were dead? Uh, it was, um, it, it's quite striking. It was, it, the thing about it was, and the, the reason it worked as a routine later is because it was so poorly written. Um, and it was a, uh, and I would go through it on stage because it was, I'm trying to f- see is there a copy of it? There's usually 40 copies of it uh, lying around. Um, because it was uh, like this really weird looking website uh, and it had a photograph of a generic car crash and it said Irish comedian uh, and television star being died uh, when the car he was driving in fell into a ravine in Dublin city centre uh, and just that line was enough anyway because he was like what the fuck what we, have we never mentioned the ravine that we have in the middle of Dublin city centre and the whole story was so ridiculous and I even I even sought out um the other people who because because the de- the exact same story through whatever way I was able to search it um, was locally done for at least four other comedians actually mm. a lot of them um, a guy called uh, Trevor Gumby in South Africa this, there was a version of the story about him exact same text just with with the names changed um, Gago Winston in Nigeria and then there was a guy called Andrew Espiritu who was a, a Filipino comic performer and rapper. Uh, and he, the story was about him in the Philippines version of it, and I would show this up. And then he became a, fee, a, cre- a thing in the joke about how actually in this, in this car crash it was just me and and, and Andrew Spirit, who's a Filipino rapper who was also <laughs> at this thing I was at, and 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 you know, and now we were trapped in a car together, and this is all really embarrassing in the ravine. We've we run out of conversation and all that thing. And I have made repeated attempts to contact Andrew Spiritu uh, who's on Twitter I follow him on Twitter and he said put, constantly fucking post pictures of his kids in Disneyland uh, and this life he has and he does he does a show called I Can See Your Voice in the Philippines which has only just started now with Jimmy Carr in London and you're going fuck I must I've got to get in contact with this guy because every time I send him a tweet going I am a comedian just check the thing out but he, it's clearly a managed accountant and nobody looks at it like whatever and you'd presume that you know, I'd be able to get in contact with a Philip, like a guy in the Philippines who has a similar kind of a gig, but it's impossible to track the man down uh, for him just to know that he has been the punch. Like he's one of the big punchlines, is under his spirit, and he, I, I reincorporate him again, and he gets big laughs. And I just feel he'd like to know uh, that he's part of this brotherhood of all of us who all got killed 
uh, at this in this fake news story. I mean, there is a possibility that he's in the Philippines doing a version of the same story with you as the punchline, and he doesn't but want quite to. Get, he doesn't want to get in contact because he's been ripping on you severely <laughs> for a while. And he's like, "Fuck, that'd be hilarious if he's there." And I won't do a Filipino accent because I'd be racist. Going saying so, I said to my wife, "Will the builders be back?" And she's going, "Oh, honey, the snacking, <laughs> snagging is just a story." Oh. Um, I ask people on this show if they have a life philosophy of any kind. Do you have a guiding principle that, you know, it doesn't have to be a philosophy philosophy, but I like a, a motto, a, you know, some sort of, uh, you know, principle through which you, some sort of thing that you believe is true or that you try to believe is true? Um, it, it, that's an awkward one because it's, it's the hugeness of that question is, is insane. And I'm, 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 I'm genuinely impressed that people have managed to give a short answer to them. The, uh, we had a running joke myself and my wife for a long time that our motto was take what you can when you can because you don't know when it's going to run out. Uh, and that was basically for buffets and for, <laughs> you know, and fun events. The, uh, and there is like, it's a funny running joke between growing up that so we really shouldn't do it as a joke in front of the kids in case they think that genuinely is a family <laughs> motto. Take what you can when you can because you don't know when it's going to run out. Um, and I generally don't think there is. I think I think it's a bit like um, one of these things that you retrospectively. It's like when you do analysis of comedy and stuff like that. And you go, well, well, I mainly do this. That doesn't help you write this stuff. It just when you look back on it, you can uh, and do this like whatever. So the uh, you know a sort of curiosity um, uh, has has informed things I've done. The um, a general desire to be liked. You know, it's not none of it is strong. Uh, none of it is a powerful thing. The uh, and he wanted to be on the side of the angels, I suppose, a bit, but also feeling uncomfortable with pro- proclaiming that like whatever. So yeah, it's a I don't have a thing that I, that would go into a t shirt or go into a thing or or that I pat on the roof as I walk out uh, and says remember only do good uh, or that kind of stuff like whatever it is just an existence which is you know and uh, I, that I glory in, in, in the in the in in the, the opportunities and the joys that this thing has given me you know enjoying the the new places to travel and the new things to see and the people to talk to and and the, and the moment of and finding that moment of joy of you've said a thing and I'm going to create a thing and we're going to ha- we're going to share this moment that yeah, being able to do that and, and, and as long as possible—that's that's what currently informs. I mean, people have an idea of, of a showbiz career that it's mapped out in terms of well, then you want to do this, and then you want to do this, and then you want to do this, and it's very difficult to explain that I've reached a level which is great, and if I could just maintain that, that'd be fabulous. Um, the physics of of things are basically force um, acceleration uh, is caused by force um, and Newton had that like whatever and in showbiz people are judged on whether they're accelerating as they're getting bigger it's big news as they're crashing it's going smaller but the minute you just get to a level and just keep at that level you, you there's no force you disappear people don't even register you're doing it like whatever uh, and they're going well why aren't you doing it what's the new thing and you're going no this if I could just maintain maintain this joy the, uh, this I, I know exact size, size of room I like to play I know the length of show I like to do and I like to, the opportunities I create within it for fun and I'm just going to try to tweak everything else around it so I can do that as often as possible before the opportunity is taken away from me mm, okay so yeah that does seem like that, that original motto <laughs> it applies it's what I'm hearing it does but in a much more positive way it turns out it re- now that you mentioned it, it really does but actually yeah but there is a uh, just an awareness that I'm in a thing that's I'm in show business for fuck's sakes that's, and I'm 49 in show mm. business that's madness if I was in a band I would have already done the retro tour 
after the initial tour like whether that's how much you think but in comedy you can just keep doing it like whatever and, and it is yeah so as long as you're, you're true to that I mean there's yeah there's more thought out stuff but I mean do people when you ask people do they generally go look this is what it is <laughs> eat love pray uh, whatever is there, do people actually have a thing that they I find yeah my reactions things are too multi yeah are too various uh, I'm not looking for an answer I'm looking for the answer you know I'm looking for your answer I I just want to see how you wrestle with the question I'll ask it in a different way because it's really just about what the meaning of life is so let me ask you this way what do you think happens when we die we're gone disappeared that's it that's over that's the end of it in that instant there's a very good sequence in um, there's a book One Day uh, which uh, follows it was a it's, oh my god what's his name he's very 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 good author he wrote uh, oh my god I'm blanking on these things but anyway the, and it's set in one day one particular day year after year after year of this couple and they get together and they move apart they get together and they move apart okay um, same guy who wrote Starter for 10 David Nichols movie. David so, Nichols that's yeah. it exactly yeah. very good and so one day but in that without ruining anything in any way for whatever there's a character and the character passes away but it's done in it's written there's this paragraph that's, that's well I can't quote word for word for word is very it's striking it says and that happened and that was the end of that person there was nothing else it just stopped and there's no kind of magical spirit thing happens that's it it's done it's over right okay so um, there's a lot of stuff that we chase after I think that, that uh, in terms of, of, of that that I find really, you're there you're here and not and sorry now it's not like the spinal tap drummer uh, have a good time all the time <laughs> as much as you can like whatever but there is a touch it's in the joy it's in you know it's, it's, it's the finding of the joy uh, wherever your joy is and uh, and I suppose that really is the, the thing for me I know I found out what it is for me uh, and want to do that as much as possible do the shit out of it. Find the thing you love and do the shit out of it. Um, and because that's the thing that gives you joy. Uh, so do you yeah. think that that is an intrinsic, cause, because you look at the rest of the world, like I mean, I think often we're in an incredibly privileged position, right? I think that it's the yeah. exception rather than the rule that people do something that they absolutely, like, you know, there's that old saying that you're quite famous, which is, you know, find something that you love to do and you'll never work a day in your life, which is, we understand is absolutely fucking not true. Find a thing that you yeah. love to do and you will work every moment of the rest of your fucking life a lot of the time for free <laughs> is actually yeah. what that, yeah. that saying should be. But it is a great joy to have a passion, to have like maybe a calling or at least something that you are passionate about enough that you can describe it as a calling. But a lot of the world doesn't live in those circumstances. A lot absolutely. of the world lives yeah. in different circumstances. So what do you think the meaning of life is why why has life become what it is why is it music and poetry and sport and food and you know adventures and running and you know all these all these various factors that you've you've seen both from a comedic point of view but also from like you know an eye for science a scientific point of view is it just pure evolutionary factors is this just a survival of the species thing that we've developed like i mean why are you and i you know, having this conversation right now, if if there is no greater meaning to our lives than we're born and we die, the um well, there is a um well, I think I think I think we imbue it with meaning on the journey. I think mm-hmm. that's grand. Just because I don't, know, it's not a nihilist view I have that uh, just because there isn't, I'm not, I'm not. This isn't a test to earn 
the access to Nirvana. So I don't find that to be a more helpful uh, viewpoint, the, uh, that, uh, that, it, it, that somehow it's empty not to presume that you're doing an entrance exam for heaven the, uh, the entire time you're here. The, um, I think you should understand your responsibility both if, to others within this and, and behave accordingly and that they uh, and you're not there to remove joy from other people's lives that would be a large thing <laughs> by by your own actions but the uh, so i think but i think that's just inherent within it like the uh, um i think it's it's propulsive it just it, it's going to happen anyway the uh, mm. which is no comfort to people who are in a bad situation but life, time keeps moving on life life, life continues the uh, no matter what and so we're very much strapped onto this gurney um you are right that we are unbelievably lucky um uh, in a way that you're right is is wrong to to draw past lessons for other people and go hey well, you you got you got to find that one thing right there cuz that that doesn't apply yeah you're absolutely right we're we're incredibly lucky and we're very very privileged and it's a complete fluke that we got to do this thing um but and I so I don't know if you just if I don't know if you're just working because you work because you have to pay bills but solely for that you wouldn't define it you wouldn't define your life in those words and it may be more difficult to find the the the, the way in which you do find the the passion that drives it like the uh, but a passion is a huge I think the passion exists for everyone um I think and this is not a new thing it was Epicurious I think who said this like whatever the one of the keys to you know you know health and sufficient wealth um health sufficient wealth um a curiosity or a self or, or an ability to self to self analyze um and uh, and a passion and a passion whether it's for fucking warhammer 40,000 or astrophotography or a football team um the uh, is an enormous you know that's that that i think is is very much the point to find that thing that is the thing that gives you joy again uh, uh, is huge but look we're lucky that what we do is is both well regarded and well rewarded and also features a huge amount of endorphin and adrenaline. Um, but uh, but we shouldn't, yeah, presume that that's the way other people get to choose their lives. Plus, we also shouldn't encourage too many others because, frankly, it's getting quite crowded, this marketplace. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> why would I do anything other than draw the ladder up behind me, as I say, uh, <laughs> these situations? So, yeah, yeah. Um, I, the, the was, I think I'm I inherently a relatively decent individual uh, and so talking about these kind of things in these terms will probably slip into platitudes uh, rather than I'm, 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 I, I like to ask the questions I don't care where it goes I just like to ask the questions cool. so um, I, I, do you care about death does it enter your thoughts like is it one of those things that you know you are aware of your own mortality did that change when you had children um, I am no it, death as a, as a thing for me doesn't I'm more aware of it now I had to do an operation I have to get a knee thing um, sorted out in the next while and I have to do an x-ray and I saw myself and it was, it was a full length x-ray uh, and so I had to stand up and I could see either the reflection of myself or the image of myself standing there and there's one working around and I'm quite a hefty individual not just because I'm, I'm a you know overweight guy or anything like that but I'm, I'm just Jenny Ferry bulky kind of a big guy I always was the, uh, and I'm looking at that and I'm 49 now and I realise that the thing I'm doing on my knee is is I'm having an operation to stave off having the knee replaced this is from an old bone thing I had since I was a teenager so inevitably the knee is going to be replaced and the and conversations then are about um, well we don't want to do too early because you wear through replacing knee so we want to hold that back so we'll do this and for 10 years then when you're 60 we'll look again right and so you're going okay grand but then you're kind of going right this is me at 50 and 50 I still carry sort of the young man's sort of a 
air about me, I think to a certain extent, 60 feels like I won't. 60 feels like I will be, you know, <laughs> you, I will be thinner and older and frailer or whatever. It's grand. The, uh, and I was very aware that for the first time, like whatever, of that aging thing, whatever, as I approach 50. But not the, generally I haven't because the job I do is in an industry filled with young people and it's playtime essentially and it just kind of keeps you fairly young in your, in your head about, about, about stuff. Um, I am aware of being 40, whatever, um, the, because I'm a dad and it's grand and I'm, I'm fine with that part. But I'm not a naive. I don't think I'm, I'm 25, but I don't have the sense of that. The death I think about is much more the work thing of this, of just, it's showbiz, it moves on. And the sense of God would be, you know, at some point someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and go, no, that's, you're done, that's it. That's grand. That's the much more the thing that they, the thing that, that I've enjoyed so much over the last while, that, that that goes away. And that is much, that feels like a much more valid, <laughs> more, more, you know, breath on my neck fear uh, than it is. Because I watch, again, I work in, a, I literally work on a show that turns over new comedians. Uh, Mock the Week is, is basically an academy for new comedians. We've gone to, we're on to our sixth generation, I would imagine, if you look at it, of talent passing through. There's a picture, kind of a Sergeant Pepper picture there of everyone who's on the show, who's been on the show, ranged around myself and Hugh Dennis. And it's basically a picture of people who will never appear in Mock the Week again <laughs> because they don't have to do it because that was a thing. So I'm like, um, I work in a gig in which I'm essentially like um, that Richard Dreyfus movie. Mm, um, Mr. Holland's Ibis. The very thing I, I quote this repeatedly And nobody gets this reference But I'm like Mr. Holland Watching these people These young people go past And then go on to Their stadiums or whatever And while I write My shitty American symphony um, That being the terrible End of the movie But uh, It's a uh, So I'm more aware of that I'm more aware of that going Than I am necessarily About just dying because I've got look, I've got a fucking four year old in the house. I'm not, I'm not, I'm no position to be dying. Uh, so you know, the, of, of old age and dying, no, not, that isn't that hasn't that hasn't really entered my thoughts yet. When you look at the, uh, man, we'll, we'll finish up soon. I'm very aware of the fact that it is uh, very late where I am speaking to you. But uh, to be honest, uh, there was a point that I think because I contacted you and said, listen, can we do this slightly earlier? And then I said, firstly, can say we can do this later. Then we can do it earlier. Um, the reason I moved it was because the forecast was for no clouds. So I spent uh, an hour setting up a complex piece of telescope machinery outside and then went back out again and it's fucking 100% cloud uh, which is why I contacted you and said can we do it earlier so actually I'm going to go out now and see if it's if the cloud curve is lifted because I needed to do a, about three hours of imaging of something tonight so actually my night might not be that young so you're, you're all right I'm I do live the nerd thing I really do I mean yes I've never had anybody going I'm just going to go straight back out to the telescope straight after this even Adam Spencer honestly there's some nebulae I want to get some long exposure images of and then I'm going to spend tomorrow um, collating them on a computer and doing Photoshop on them like I really I developed a hobby during lockdown it is fucking and so it'll be difficult for you to return to basically the next show is going to have a lot of material about astrophotography and telescopes and I the audience are going to have to fucking come with me on that because there was a point where I for the first time in my life, thanks to the lockdown, I have a hobby. Would you Would you like who, to go to space? Um, yeah, I would love to. Um, although I'm very that those ones that go vroom, vroom, like that. Um, I think I'd be too aware of how much this is costing and how little time I'm getting, and it'd be in your head in the way that when you pay incredibly expensive tickets for a West End show, and you're kind of going okay, this is funny, but is it £170 a ticket funny? Uh, and it's like a taxi meter running. So I think I would never get over the sense as I scooped up, uh, uh, it's wonderful, it's wonderful, 10,000, 10 grand, 20 grand, 100 grand, whatever, the, uh, of that, like a space tourist thing. Yeah, it, it'd be incredible. But the, um, 
I, more likely I'm going to end up buying a shed in Chile at some stage in the next 10 years and sticking an expensive piece of a telescope in there and that's going to be and I'll just sit here watching stuff come through because I'm doing I'm doing uh, astronomy in London which is like doing scuba diving in London uh, in this moment if I just swam into the, like it's just like I just get to buy the equipment and put it on and be really interested in how the air works I don't see a fucking fish I just swim in the cloudy water for 40 minutes and I come out again and go yeah that's great it's my hobby is, is that like whatever so that's essentially what I'm doing uh, in the garden it's, it's, uh, there's a scale called Bortle that goes from one to nine and London is eight uh, and it is there's nothing you see there's, no, there's nothing to see but fuck it we're there um, if you could just have one skill, like uh, one new skill, uh, you don't have to do your 10,000 hours, you immediately have this skill. You are immediately able to do it. What would that skill be that you would love to be able to do? Voices. Can I do oh, yeah. voices? Yeah, absolutely. That can be a skill. That would be really handy and I'm terrible at them. But also it's kind of funny how bad I'm at them in a kind of a everything turns out to be a kind of a southern dog mm. uh, kind of a I'll say I'll say woof woof uh, kind of a you know kind of they, they I, I only can do about three or four of them but that would be handy within because I you know it would be something that works into this I mean to be like fucking balls out funny would be great to be read the phone book funny uh, silent funny that'd be that'd be lovely to have that like whatever the um, but in terms of like a random the matrix type oh I can do kung fu uh, type skill for, for just for the sheer fun of it um, yeah my um, my uh, partner is really good at voices and she does not work in like you know any, any industry where that would be handy to her in any way literally and I'm like this is totally a skill that I could have taken to the stage yeah, like I'm terrible at voices and- there's a part of me these days that feels like it stopped me from like my act becoming politically incorrect, you know, like because I think right. if you've done okay. voices, like there would be a few voices that would be hard to give up. And over the years, there's had to be a few that have been <laughs> eased out of people's acts, I think. You're just like, I really yeah. just yeah, got yeah. this Mandarin like right down for the act <laughs> and now I feel like I can't bring this one to stage. I've never bumped into that problem seeing that all my impressions sound exactly like me doing an impression. <laughs> Yeah, there was a, um, the level I'd like to be is, is Tim Roth apparently was asked by Steven Spielberg if he plays something and he, well, I need you to do a German accent. And Tim Roth said, well, what part of Germany? Right. That's, <laughs> kind of, kind of, that's the shit I'd like to be doing. Yeah, the, uh, so you're going, well, you wanted more of industrial Frankfurt or suburban Frankfurt? Uh, which would you like me to do? That would be really handy and to jump deftly because my, they just sway into it. That would be really, really handy. Yeah, as I say, uh, if there's a superpower, it would be it would be low level telekinesis um, I've always thought that that would be a very handy thing just in a kind of a oh where are my keys and there are my keys that nothing life changing nothing you'd really you know but just you know I, like when you're playing football at school you could just oh just nudge the ball as I'm running with it like so, so no one would notice it like whatever but just well, that's, you know okay so this is my question whenever anybody suggests superpowers this is my question if you have superpowers and I think you, you're kind of relating to this is the idea is, do the superpowers become all you're known for? You know, do you reveal mm. them to the public? Like, this feels like you might have a superpower here that you would mostly keep to yourself. Is this what you're going to do or are you just going to get to a point where you're going to have to show it to other people? What, well, what age am I in this situation? And am I single in this situation? No, let's because- just say it's literally the entire the situation you have right now. You wake up tomorrow and you have low-level telekinesis. You're like, where are my keys? You put your hand up, your keys 
shoot towards your hand? What happens next? Oh, you go. I go on with my day. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I might fire them forward and back a few times. Uh, it's grand, but I don't go. I must hang around um, a bank in case there are robbers appear right. and I can divert the bullets. Like whenever it's grand, no, I, I got yeah. oh, shit. I got stuff yeah. to do, uh, but I'm just gonna do that. And then I would say to my wife, "Oh, honey, I've developed low-level telekinesis," and she go, "That's that's lovely, well done." Uh, and go on with her day, and I totally don't give a fuck about this kind of a way. Uh, and then yeah, I would just I would just slide slide drink across the bar that'd be that'd be lovely but just within a, like a tiny area that's all I can do I can just get it from I can't quite reach the remote I've got the remote that, that stuff like and not even in a cool snap kind of a that way just kind of goes so there's no there's nothing dramatically great about it like it's just just handy in a oh god yeah no it's over there uh, there we go uh, kind of a way yeah pat 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 thing see now the danger is to make it sound like Thor's hammer comes smashing through the roof uh, or something like that like when it really isn't that it's just like you know I, I twist it twist things or spin things in my hand or something so uh, yeah it would be it would be honestly you'd end up just doing a different form of chewing a top of a pencil um, my weathering for example is two rings with, with ball bearings inside that spins uh, and then you can spin the thing all the time. So that, which I've been doing for the entire married life, just spinning this thing, I'd just be do- using it for that. I'd just be mm, whizzing things around, <laughs> you know, bouncing balls off walls and then catching them Im- imperceptibly. Nothing good. I would do nothing good with it. I wouldn't, yeah. Also, I would, I would, worry, so I would worry about when will I do the show with this in it. Yeah. Because this is like right. a thing now, you know. Yeah, when would I, you know, put it into a show and, oh, Oh, I've got telekinesis. Uh, I mean, do you bring it out like as a, is it like, because it it becomes that sort of, oh, this is his telekinesis show. It's like somebody, again, not to diminish this, but like the dead dad show, you know. The the, dead dad show. You're absolutely right. This is your dead dad show. (laughs) I've developed low level telekinesis. Genuinely, I'm I'm struggling. I'm, I'm wrestling with the thing because I've got a we had a whole, I had a whole adoption thing recently and uh, found my birth mother and all that stuff like whatever. And I do have to write that show, mm. uh, and I am going with it like and I, it's very early stages of how I how I do it and going and it's probably going do I do oh, do I do this is an incredible story and it's a great story over two bottles of wine but is it can I turn it into a like a mar- oh, I got to make it sort of thing that I can repeatedly say over and over again. Um, so yeah, and then the next. How's he, how's he going to top that story? Well, <laughs> you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> two, two more questions and we're done. So uh, okay. what, what is either the best piece or the worst piece of advice you've ever got? Oh, my God. Best. Um, can I give an example rather than advice? Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, the uh, I saw Joan Rivers working at the um, I did a gala in Montreal uh, when I was seven years in there was a point that I went okay grand maybe I can do this mm. and Joan Rivers did a did a set at the start and she walked out and she had a kind of a weird she had a dress over her dress and the dress had this kind of splodgy thing on it and it was to do a Monica Lewinsky joke mm-hmm. and she said oh Baba I got this dress from blah, blah, blah. and I don't know what the joke was but it didn't do that well it was okay um, and uh she turned on the audience. She went, how dare you not laugh at that? I ruined a perfectly good dress for that. Like whatever, I really, and I mean, it's Donna Karan, not DKNY, like you buy, pointing to the balcony area, but Donna Karan, like, and she ranted at them, yeah. like, and it was pure instinct, 
it was pure oh you are not gonna fucking not give me a laugh on that and she bang 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 and she did a thing which I've said many times that's which is the key you push 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 and then you drop them and you, when you drop them they all laugh the, the release of tension is huge like whatever and she did all that stuff and went ah, boom, and they and they all huge round of applause and I remember going he's feeling a sense of something being unlocked there oh that's what you do that's what you do you he's like you are you are the the gun the, the jokes are just bullets you're the gun like you're the you're the funny thing in this okay so you and you're in that in charge of that situation so you just fucking move the energy just oh well, no don't you do that to me uh, and then fucking and she just lifted them out dare you dare you dare you fumble and dropped them like an egg and they fucking smashed and and they loved it they loved it happening and that was i think the most perfect example of oh yeah that's how you do it that's how live that's how you do it they uh and so that was that was the master class seeing that um so yeah that'll have to be my great right, no that's a advice. that's a great example uh, yeah that you're in charge they're not in charge you know they're not in charge absolutely not in charge yeah. whatever. and there's times where if the audience is quiet i'll turn on the audience sometimes it's a very silly thing to do but the but it sometimes make gels them it brings them together in a kind of what the fuck is this guy giving out to us uh but at least it, it changes the reaction changes the chemistry in the room it makes it more you're disinterested and, and separate but now you're adversar- adversarial and together and i can work with together uh and i can bring you all back but at least I've got you in the one place like a fucking sheepdog uh, I've finally pushed you into the it's the wrong pen but I can I now that I have you together I'll bring you to the right pen um, and it's, it's so the amount to which it is just also purely it's um, music it'll, in the sense of it being a it's an energy thing I'm going to do this and this and this and this and then drop you know I'm going to it's, it's not about the actual words um, and a lot of what I do isn't what a lot of what I do is very non-verbal um, and emming and eyeing and ooing and the and uh, hands waving around. So, uh, but it is that's fine. That is absolutely it's an instinctive thing, and you you do it. You do it a baby. You go 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 go. Uh, that is essentially what you do. You lift them and you drop them. You lift them and you drop them. Uh, what, let's do any plugs that you have. What can we mention to people? What can people? Uh, no, because I, I, I look. I look. I'll be back. But I'm. I. But this. Uh, this chat with you is because I just wanted to use the fact that you can zoom with people all over the world at the moment and we'll stop doing that and go back to live we may forget how easy this was to do to just get in contact so for the, la- for the last week I've been doing uh, I talked to somebody in Sydney on, on Monday I'm, I'm doing Belgium tomorrow I did Iceland this afternoon I'm doing I think New Zealand next week I'm doing Toronto next week I'm just doing a lot I put a call out to hey look who's got a podcast I can chat on so I the delight of not having to sell anything shift any product yes I'll be back in Hamer Hall at some stage and I'll be back in not the end more the other one the one with the big um, the state oh, theatre uh, state yeah yeah yeah, yeah the giant theater. Um, thing. it's a fabulous theatre yeah, yeah. See, it's grand. I mean although I, you know, I know the deal is terrible but I do love the, yeah. the opera house is a very nice yeah. thing to say <laughs> uh, it's kind of the, yeah but uh, but back in those again, of course, when the, when this when I when I write this, whatever this show is going to be, um, that I will of course be back, but not for a long time. Just look, this is just pleasure to do. Uh, final question: I have I normally well, ask a question about time travel, but we covered that earlier on, so I'm going to ask you this one instead. Um, the equivalent, the closest I have to an inspirational saying, you know, a little pillow with hanging there on it, is on my desk. I have a little metal bar, and it just says, "What will you? What would you attempt?" if you knew you could not fail. So basically, really, that's just meant to remind me that I shouldn't be thinking about, you know, how can I make this thing successful or how I choose things, you know, based on whether they will be successful or not. Just what would you do if it was guaranteed to succeed? So 
Is there anything that you haven't tried? Is there anything in your life that you would love to do if you knew that you could not fail? Oh, my God. Um, I mean, there's a whole school of stuff. I, like, I don't act. I don't um, do that kind of comedy, sketch stuff. I find that my instincts as a stand-up I, are very different and I, I don't trust them in a, in a sketch situation. Um, it, like, I have a fear that I will be concentrating so much on getting the lines right or getting the where I stand right or remembering the voice that an arm will rise like <laughs> that I will f- forget to check what's my arm doing why is your arm rising and I'll it will just be rising up and oh god it's happened again with my arm I have to put it back down again um so that some of that would would open a whole world particularly at the moment in television because television is all about scripted stuff and big script things or whatever it's going on. and that's not a world I'm in at all um but probably the simplest thing would be is that perhaps if I knew it could fail, I would be quiet occasionally on stage. And I would, if I could do the jokes that involved not hammering the fuck out of things, because that's the default setting I know works. And I could shift the gears to that quieter register. Yeah, that would be, that'd be an interesting thing. I, I find that petrifying the, to shift out of the, and to trust in not getting a laugh for a period of time to, for the greater reward. They, uh, so still I, you know, because I know I can batter the shit out of them <laughs> and so therefore it's a thing to do. But if I, could, if I could not do that, yeah, it'd be as simple as that, yeah. I mean, you know what? Obviously when this conversation ends, I realise I should have said world peace at some stage. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> Or the eradication of COVID. That would have been a thing, you know, but no, I just want to do a slightly different speed of joke. The, uh, also, the but I could, I, I mean, again, like normally when I ask people at the end about like where they go on a time machine, I always put together, like at the start, I'm just like, please don't kill a baby Hitler or whatever, unless that's your real <laughs> passion. Like, I don't care about the things you're meant to say. I care about you I, I want to know what's important to you that's the whole point of this entire show so i appreciate that you've actually been really honest about that i appreciate that you haven't gone for saying the things that you meant to say you've said the things that seem to be really intrinsic to who you are it's been a great pleasure to do this thank you so much i'm so glad that it was able to happen um i'm glad that you know you've taken the time in the middle of the night where you could have been looking at smog to come and talk to me um it, you know smog i dream of smog uh <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting to what's out there now. It's yeah. always um, a, a great pleasure to see you, and it certainly does not happen enough. So it's been lovely to spend this time with you, mate. Thank you very much for joining the show. An absolute delight.